So that's Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 to 21. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach in the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate, and of the wine he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, it was seen that they were in better appearance than, and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king acquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Uh, in a moment, the children are going to go out with Natalie. Um, But before they do, let's pray uh, for them and for us um, as we hear God's word being taught and also for Rob and uh, Natalie who are teaching today. Uh, Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the truth in your word that something that happened thousands of years ago can be relevant to us uh, today in 21st century London. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be with us today, that we would have our hearts open to hear your spirit speak to us and that you will be speaking through uh, Natalie to the children and through Rob to us Lord um, I thank you Lord for the time that they've spent preparing and I pray Lord that they that, that you will be bearing fruit from what they've got to say we pray this in your precious name amen so if the children go out with uh, Natalie And uh, let me invite Rob to come and speak to us. Hi, everyone. Uh, well, Hannah set, set us up wonderfully for, for this passage uh, with that kids, kids slot. So if you could have, keep those things in mind, uh, the challenge and the choice um, that, that, that friends had, that would be great. 
Um, Let me pray for us again, and then we'll um, look at God's word together. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you do rule as king. Thank you that you can rule our hearts uh, through the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you teach us how to live with you as our king in a world which doesn't recognize your, your rule. Uh, we thank you so much that you, you show us what it is to, to be different. Uh, we pray that you'd be speaking to each and every one of us today. And would you help us um, in the things you're saying uh, to put them into practice. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, let's look down at our Bibles. Um, and if you look with me at um, verse 7 of chapter 1. And verse 7 says, And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Uh, the word is actually set them names. He set them names uh, to have. And then verse 8, actually, that word resolved, um, is actually Daniel set it in his heart. The same word. So the, the chief of the eunuchs has set something. He's given them names. He's told them what they're to be referred to as. But in verse 8, Daniel sets it in his heart to do something. And uh, before today, I did ask you to uh, have a look, or even earlier on today, sorry, um, I did ask you to sort of think about this passage. What is it that Daniel resolves to do? What's his decision? And why do we think it matters? Um, Why don't I give you just a moment just to chat to the person next to you about that? Um, Go on, just do that for a few minutes. Okay, let's uh, come back together. I probably haven't given you enough time there. Um, well, the easier part, the shorter part of the answer, what did Daniel, what's Daniel's decision? What does he decide to do? Someone shout something out. Not to defile himself. Yeah. So he resolved not to defile himself with uh, the king's food. So it's on that particular thing. Um, why do we think he, he decided that? Why does it matter? Okay, that's good in some ways because we get to explore it together, to think about it together. Why does it matter? Um, what's, the, what's such a big deal about the food? Is it, is, it, is it the food itself or is it something else? Um, so we're going to look first at Daniel's decision, and um, that will be point one. And then point two will be um, about the God who graciously gives wisdom. And uh, we'll hear a bit more about that in a moment. Um, so Daniel's decision... Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. There will be moments for Christians, uh, because Jesus is their king, and they're living in a a place which doesn't acknowledge Jesus as king, uh, when there's a clash of kingdoms. When the kingdom of this world or the kingdom the kings that other people are following will clash with the king that they want to follow in their hearts and in their lives. And um, there will be, as Hannah said, moments where believers need to say no, they need to challenge and say, I'm not going to do that. I don't think this is one of those moments. Interestingly, this is a bit different. Why is it different? Well, um, it's not the same as in chapters 3 and 6. Chapter 3 is when Daniel says, I'm going to carry on praying. The law has told me 
to stop praying to, to God, to only pray to Nebuchadnezzar. And he says no. He says no. He challenges that. He just carries on praying. He doesn't ask for permission to keep praying. He just carries on praying. And he bears the consequences. Uh, chapter 6 is um, when he... Uh, uh, is that the, He's told to bow down. Sorry, chapter 3 is when he's told to bow down. And chapter 3... Uh, chapter 6 is when he um, uh, is told to stop praying. But he didn't do either of those things. And he doesn't ask for permission there. Um, he, he just simply goes against what's being asked of him. But if you look down with me at this, this um, example, it says that he went to the chief of the eunuchs and asked. He asked him to allow him not to do this, to defile himself. So I don't think it's that what Daniel is going to be doing uh, by eating the food or wine is, is necessarily like obviously sinful because he's not going to ask for permission not to sin. It would be weird, wouldn't it, for Christians to say, um, I need to ask you for permission not to sin. But because he uses the word defile, we tend to think of sin, don't we? Something to be made unclean or to be made not fit for purpose. We tend to think of it as being sin. But if we consider that God's people had a purpose to be an example or to show what God was like, uh, to be distinct and to show the world who he was, then actually then losing that distinctiveness and I think this is what it is Daniel's saying if I go along with everything in Babylon how are people going to see that Jesus is my king how are people going to see that I'm actually belonging to him set apart for God and not set apart for Nebuchadnezzar or for someone else so um, I heard this quote this week Um, it says this Daniel and his friends seize on one of the few areas where they could still exercise a choice. And of course, they've been told, this is what we're going to call you. They've been told, this is what you're going to learn. They didn't have a choice over that. And this is one of the first things they get where they actually do have a choice. They have a choice over what they eat and what they drink. And so they use this choice, they exercise choice as an opportunity to preserve their distinctiveness. Seeing it this way, Daniel and his friends uh, take the first choice they had um, to retain and regain their distinctiveness as the people of God, set apart for him, belonging to him. That's why it matters. Because they are belonging to him. They are set apart for him. Um, we'll look at how Daniel goes about it in just a moment, but um, let's just think, have a think about this. Um, the nature of what Daniel is doing is, is pretty risky, isn't it? We know that from what the chief of the eunuch says. He says, um, you would endanger my head with the king. So surely the kind of things we're going to be thinking about for ourselves, they will have an element of risk. There is a, a, a cost or a danger that I might lose something. Lose face with people, maybe. Lose the respect of people, maybe. There is a risk. But Daniel does it because he's important. And because Jesus is his king. Because he's following the king. He doesn't want to go along with absolutely everything in Babylon because then he would, it would not be obvious that to them who his God is. And that matters to him. And the other thing that's uh, true of this, the nature of it, is that he, he actually is costly for Daniel. He passes up the best that Babylon has to offer. 
So if you think about it, he gets the king's food, the king's wine. The king is going to be drinking the best wine. <laughs> you know, I don't know what you've got in your wine cellars uh, or in your cabinet, but the king's wine in Babylon is going to be far better. And the king's food, his meat is going to be the best, you know, the best cut of meat you could ever think. The best chunky steak. And so actually, Daniel's decision to not do what everyone else was doing, it's a choice. It's not that it would be sinful to go along with it, but he's saying, I'm not going to do everything that everyone else is doing so that they can see that I'm different, so they can see that I serve a different king. And actually, he passes up the best that Babylon has to offer. So something that we might do might also mean that we pass up the best that is on offer in our lives. Maybe we pass up um, having all of the things we could have in life. Maybe that's how we ought to be distinctive as God's people. Um, so we just start to tease out, aren't we, what, you know, what kind of decisions might fit in this category? I'm calling this kind of category one things, okay? Category one is chapter one of Daniel. They're choices. They're not category chapters three and six, which is not optional. It's no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to bow down to your God. I'm not going to stop praying to my God. This is an optional thing. And he asks for permission. But it is risky and it is costly. Um, I think it is worth, before we go on to um, the result of Daniel's decision or, or what God does in this situation, just looking at how Daniel does it, how he communicates that decision to the people that he's, um, he, he, he needs to communicate it to. Um, just to go back to the person next to you, how, how might a Christian communicate that they're not going to go along with what everyone else is doing? What are the, po- what are the possibilities okay, of how they might communicate it? Um, just chat to the person next to you. Okay, what do you reckon? What are the options for how we can communicate living life as a Christian? What are the, what are the ways we could do that? Good ways and bad ways, by the way. I'm not just thinking of the, the good ways. Peter, what do you think? Just tell them, okay. Yep, presumably telling them is, is part of it, yeah. Well, how, how might we tell them? What might be the ways in, like... How might we sound as we're telling them? Go on. Sorry? Taking a stand action, yeah? Do you think Christians can sometimes be a little bit, or we can sometimes be a little bit um, just pushy and also a bit, uh, you know, stubborn? And we can say to people, I'm demanding my rights here, yeah? Is that what Daniel does? Okay, what does he do? He goes to the ki- he goes to uh, the person who's in charge of him, the chief of the eunuchs, and he asks for permission. Um, he is uh, he's open about it. He's not underhand. Another way we could go about uh, you know being distinctive is just not to tell anyone. To sort of go behind people's backs and say. Oh yeah, I'm just going to not do that thing and not inform anyone that I'm not doing that thing. But he's open, isn't he? He's very open about it. He actually fills in his application form and says, you know, here you go. Um, He's constructive, isn't he? So when uh, it comes back, um, the pushback on 
uh, what will happen. Um, it says uh, in verse uh, 10, the chief of the eunuch said in response, I fear that my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in a worse condition than the use of your own age? So you would endanger my head. What does Daniel do in verse 11? Then Daniel said to the steward, um, who, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Now Daniel's first response when there's a bit of a pushback, and it's a fair pushback, isn't it? What's going to happen when the king finds out about this? Isn't to say, that's your problem. It's actually to say, I've, I've thought of an alternative. I'm going to be constructive here. I'm going to say, why don't you try this? And notice how he speaks to the, um, to, the, to, the, to the person. He says, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of our youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And you deal with your servants according to what you see. So he's being very winsome here, isn't he? He's being very... Um, humble he's saying to the guy that it's your job I'm recognising your position I'm respecting you and I'm saying here's a con- a, an idea and, and this will help us to think how we might go about doing this in our um, situations in our workplaces amongst our friends Actually, the way in which we do that, the way in which we communicate it is as important as the whole thing, isn't it? Because we say, we don't come demanding our rights and saying, I'm going to do this and everyone else has to get in line in a sort of proud way or a you know, uh, demanding, pushy way. But he comes very humbly and he comes open, constructive, respectful. Um, Let me read to you this quote. It says, Daniel did not throw a religious hissy fit, blowing off about Babylon's heavy-handedness and insensitivity. He simply looked around for the next possible step to take to see where that might land him. Daniel was not one of those people who believed that firmness of principle always involves acting stubborn and pig-headed. It's as if Daniel is fully aware that he is under the Lord's grace, that God can work in this situation. So he doesn't, it's not his sort of pushing through and being, you know, pig-headed that's going to get something done here. Daniel is humble because he knows that it involves God's grace to be working through this situation. And that's exactly what we see happening. God's grace working through the situation. It says in verse um, uh, verse 9, God gave... God gave Daniel favour and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. God gave Daniel favour and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. So we're going to see, uh, we've seen Daniel's decision, what he resolves. He he cares about the honour of God. He cares about his own heart. I was thinking about this. um, I don't know if it's helpful. Um, because this is an optional thing because this is a choice thing it's quite hard to give examples the reason is because you'll, take, you'll think okay that's the example I need to go away and 
do it exactly the same way. But I was just trying to reflect on this. How will my life look distinctive to those around me? And because God has put me around a different group of people to you, and God has given me different opportunities to you, it will look different. So we mustn't think, okay, there's a one-size-fits-all approach here. Actually, this is why it's quite hard to teach this passage, because the application is, go away and have a think about what it is that God is calling you to do. But an example would be, um, for example, in the area of parenting. I'm a parent. Um, If my decisions on how I spend my money on my children are only really limited by whether or not I can afford it, then you know what? My decisions, my life is not going to look all that different from the people around me. It's not going to look any different because every other culture, every other, you know, wants the best for their children and wants to give as much as they can to their children. And the only really real thing that's influencing their decisions is whether or not they can afford it. Because the assumption is the more I can give to them, the better. I was thinking, actually, if my parenting is going to show people that I, ha- I serve a different king, that I'm following a different king, that his, the way he instructs me matters, and that actually eternity is, 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 is much better than anything this life can offer us, how are they going to see that in my decisions with my spending on my children? The people in my, the gardens next to me, there's three gardens, they're all low fences, They can see what I buy for my children and whether or not I spend loads of money on them. They don't know whether I got things for free. That's true. Um, But what will they see in my priorities for my kids? How am I going to look different from the culture around me? I'm giving you an example, okay? That's an example in the area of parenting. And it's an example for me. It's not an example for you. But I'm giving you an example of the kind of thing that we're talking about here. Remember, it's not that to do these things is sinful because that would be chapter 3, chapter 6. But it's that we want to be distinctive. We want people to see that we're living for something else. What would that look like for you? Um, So Daniel, actually, it could be as, as well that he knows his own heart in this. He knows his heart is vulnerable, and if he goes along with Babylon and takes everything they have to offer him, the delights will just start to win over his affections. Maybe that's also at play here. Daniel thinks, if I keep eating the best food and keep drinking the best wine, then maybe further down the line, that will matter more to me than my God. So maybe for his own walk with the Lord and also for the glory of God, um, so that people would know who he follows, um, he makes this decision. That all said, what does God do in the situation? Well, the God who graciously gives wisdom... Um, subverts and surpasses every earthly king. We'll break that down in just a moment. Well, the God who graciously gives wisdom, we can see that, can't we? Um, Let's look down at our Bibles. Um, He's just said, test us um, for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables and water to drink. Let our appearance and the appearance of the youth be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. And the man listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. 
As for these four youths, God gave them, again saying gave, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. What does God do? Well, he gives Daniel and his friends wisdom and understanding. He gives them learning and skill so they can learn the things that they uh, that the king has set for them um, so they can actually have understanding of these things. And in particular, Daniel is given understanding of dreams. We know that's going to be quite important, don't we, for the rest of the book of Daniel. But Daniel is given understanding for dreams. And you see, it's all God-giving. We could see this as a sort of payoff. They've done their faithfulness. God rewards them. I don't, I don't think that's what we're meant to see here. I think we're meant to see that it's grace. That's why we sang the song Grace Unending at the start. Grace, grace, grace. All the way through the Christian life, it's grace. God is graciously working um, through his people and in his people. And he's doing that in this situation. And it also means that we don't presume on God. We don't say, I think I know what God is doing in this situation. And he is always going to do that. Um, just look with me um, further on. Um, look with me when the, keep, uh, when the people in chapter 3. And this is just as um, they've been commanded to bow down to the statue that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. It's chapter 3. If you have your Bibles open, that'd be great. Um, verse 18, uh, verse 17 and 18. They're at the point where they most need God to act on their behalf, these friends. And yet they even say, um, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So the point is, we're not to presume. He, they, said, they say, if not. They don't know what God is going to do in the situation. They don't say God has to do this because we've done this. Because we've done our bit of obedience, God is going to do this. But it is true that God is always at work in and through believers. We can say that from this passage. And how is he at work? Well, in this situation, in chapter 1, he gives them what they need for what he is giving them to do in the future. We've seen that he gives Daniel understanding of dreams. Daniel's going to need that for what God has prepared for him to do. So it is true that God is graciously at work in and through believers. He gives them what they need for what he has planned for them to do. And we can say that from this passage. We, we don't say that God, uh, that because we live distinctive lives, that God is going to reward us or m- make us successful or, or give us loads of money or give us that job promotion. We don't, we don't presume on God to know what he's doing. But he will graciously provide. He will give us what we need for what he has planned for us to do. And that's what we see in this passage. He gives them understanding in these things so that the king sees that they are better. And they, they underst- they, they've excelled more than the people in their class. They're given a position and Daniel is there 
able to interpret these dreams because God has given him understanding. So the God who graciously gives wisdom, that's the bit we've done. But just to look at me, look with me at verse 21. There's a lovely little comment right at the end of this passage. Verse 21. Let's look down at our Bibles. So the king has just um, asked them, inquired of them, and he found them in every way uh, far better than all of the people in his kingdom. And verse 21 says, And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. It's a lovely little comment because we're talking about King Nebuchadnezzar here and the Babylon and the kingdom of Babylon. And yet the, the author of Daniel has said, um, um, he puts in the comment that Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. And what that means is this, that this God is outlasting every human kingdom. Babylon, which is so strong then, and so powerful and so meaningful and, and asserting their authority, they, they didn't last. But Daniel, God's servant, is still there. He's still there. And so we see that God, who graciously gives wisdom, sub, subverts, that means he goes in and he um, changes things from within. He can change the situation. He can work through all these situations. But also that he surpasses every earthly king. That is why Daniel has confidence. That's why he makes his decision. Because he knows that this God is like that. That he can and will use every situation. And he does that this time around. It's wonderful, isn't it? That, um, that, that God does this in this situation. That God does this for us today. He graciously gives us what we need to serve him. And what, he, what, he's, what we need to, for us to um, serve him in the future. Um, let's have a think. Um, we've spoken mainly about what this passage means for Christians, and that's right, I think, because the people in the passage are people who are following Daniel's king, the Most High, as, as Sam said at the start. Um, but what if you're not someone who, who does that? You're someone who's looking into this and thinking, what's this got to say to me? What should I take home from this? Um, well, just have a, have a think about the one person in this passage um, other than the friends. And it's the man who is responding to, um, to Daniel. Um, it's the chief of the eunuchs. He's someone who doesn't know Daniel's God. And what's his life like? Well, his life is defined by fear. His life is defined by fear. He is fearful of what other people could do to him. What the king can do to him. He is fearful of the future. And I think it is, a, it is something helpful for you, you to think about is if I don't know God, the one who is most high, am I living my life out of fear? Am I making decisions out of fear? Is it fear of what might happen in the future so I'm hoarding all my stuff? Or is it fear of death so I'm you know, trying to stay away from everything that could harm me? Or is it fear of what other people think of me? Then I'm basically just doing what I think they will approve of. And here we have one person who doesn't know this God, and he is living in fear. And his is a dread kind of fear. Dread about the future, dread about death. Dread of, of what man can do and what man could say of him. 
And it does follow that if you think that you've got, you've got where you are today with, with your own strength and your own power, then anyone can come along who has more power and more strength and take it from you, and you will feel anxious and worried. In fact, all of life will feel very anxious and worried. Whereas you haven't got where you are today by your own power and strength. God has given you, graciously given you everything you have. He is most high. He is the one who has made us. He is the one who knows us. And he made us for a relationship with him. And maybe the reason why we're feeling so fearful of what could happen to us, of the future of death, is because we don't know the God who made us. The God who made the universe, who is in charge, and who is good, and knows what we need. Uh, So can I invite you to, to have a think about that for yourself? Have a think about the man in this passage, the dread that he lives with. And if you're a Christian here today, as I said, this is something that you're going to have to sort of go away and have a think about because it's not, it's not really the kind of example that I can say, this is exactly what it means in your life. You know the situations that God has put you in amongst the people around you. And what is it that would look different from what they're living for? What is it that would show them that you're not, your hope isn't, isn't in the things that they hope in? Your hope for the future is in um, the kingdom that Jesus has established. Him coming back. What would it look like? I'm going to give you a moment um, just to think um, through that and then I'll pray. Um, so maybe just in the quiet of your heart, you can have a think. How is God calling me to step out and to live differently from those around me? Give you a moment to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have saved us, saved us from living for ourselves, from living with ourselves as ruler. Thank you that we now have you as our God, our saviour, our friend. And thank you that you call us to live for you and to live um, following you. And we do... uh, 
pray that it would be seen in our lives that we belong to you, that we're set apart for you. Please would you help us to use the choices, the freedoms that you have given us, that we have available to us, and so that people might come to see that we serve you. And we pray that through that you would be pleased to to show them their need of you so that more and more people would come to know you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.